Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. So, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Amen. Thanks, Pete. Good evening, church. Hi. <laughs> Hi. That was very weak. Good evening. I know that's kind of weird for me to say, but I, I really appreciate hearing back from you. It's nice to know that there are real people sitting out there listening. Well, friends, as always, it is a joy to get to open God's Word with you. My name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, I'm going to start out telling you a little story. I'm a, I'm a pastor's kid. Some call, call us PKs. And uh, so I've grown up in the church my whole life, you know. And uh, that, that came as kind of a mixed bag of experiences. You know, I had um, a lot of good experiences, like as a, as a kid sitting in the pews. Do you all know what a pew is? It's such a weird name for a seat. But yeah, sitting in the pews, singing with, uh, with my family. Oftentimes my dad would be leading worship from the front. Those were really happy memories for me. I also have memories, though, that were very confusing and uh, painful as I watched my parents endure some really painful and challenging situations, you know, through their ministry. My dad, you know, he, he had a lot of um, defeat, I would say, in his, in his ministry. Just a lot of different challenges, um, a number of complaints that were, were brought to him throughout his ministry, um, some small, some large. Um, it was painful. It was painful to watch. It was painful to experience. And I, I just, just as an example, it was just a few years ago. My dad was planting a church, and and uh, you know, after about two years of this church plant's existence, um, about 15 members from his congregation came to him just before the Sunday service and asked him to resign because they didn't like the pace at which the church was growing under his leadership. Just so difficult, right? Like so, so hard. They had other complaints for him, but, but it was so hard to watch my dad endure that sort of thing. I've also been in your shoes as, as a sheep and, and uh, a sheep submitting to flawed pastors and, and leaders. I could give another uh, you know, number of stories about those sorts of experience where I had hard interactions, painful interactions with those who were leading me. 
And now here I am ministering as a shepherd. I ministered at a different church in Cincinnati, and, and here I am now. And and uh, I can tell you that it's sometimes very challenging. Uh, it's very challenging because we're sinful human beings, and 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 so so across the board. I I mean I've experienced the the joys and the the pain of being both sheep and shepherd in God's church. And unfortunately, this is not an unusual thing for us. We've been hearing about how common it is for people in the church to be hurt by the church, right? It's one of the reasons why we're doing this Life Together series. We want to encourage you. So why why are we... I know that sounds kind of weird. Why would I give you all these sad stories about how we're hurt and then say we want to encourage you? We do. We have, we have good things. We want to encourage you from God's Word. There's a lot of rich truth in this passage that I get to bring to you today. This, title, this sermon is titled, Who Are Shepherds and What Do We Do With Them? And we are bringing this, this sermon as a part of the Life Together series for, for a few reasons. Number one, God has set up His church in a particular way. There's a particular structure that God has given us, and we want to follow it faithfully. We want to follow it faithfully. So we're going to try to explore what the Bible says about who shepherds are, who shepherds are, what they're called to do, what is their function, and further, what are you to do with us? Like, what, what are you to do with Pastor Sam, Pastor Ross, and myself? Uh, secondly, we're including the sermon because historically churches, faith communities, people generally have, have risen or fallen based on the, the, the strengths and weaknesses of the leaders leading them, right? Some good Christian leaders have been catalysts for huge uh, gospel movements, right? You can think of a number of, of names, but there's also been those who have brought shame to the Christian church, to the name of Christ, right, in their actions, whether it's teaching or character. And so we want to, as your God-ordained shepherds, we want to remind you of your role in holding us accountable. We've, uh, we want to remind you of the, the commitment we make to you as your pastors. I put some sheets around on your seats to see the, the pastoral covenant uh, that, that we make to you. We're not, going to get, we're not going to dive into that in detail, but I want you to be able to look over that uh, on your own later tonight or, or this week. I invite you to hold us accountable as we seek to faithfully serve you. And number three, because there are so many opportunities for suffering in the church, both as sheep and as shepherds, we want to bring from God's word comfort to your heart. He, he does promise good to us in the church. Amen. Mm -hmm. Sorry, let's, let's pray that God would help us one more time. Father, I'm your servant. That's what any of us are that have been called to lead your church. And Lord, I ask that I would serve your people well right now. Father, you are so good to us. You've given us your spirit and you've given us your word. That we might be led and that we might be led to your presence, to your arms, to eternity in you, Jesus Christ. Father, would you glorify your son through the preaching of your word? Would you heal those who are wounded from 
the relationship to the church, in particular, the relationship to pastors today. And would you, would you correct those who are rejecting your call to, to follow you in this particular area? Would you grow us all to be more like Jesus? Grow our community, we ask now, through Christ, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So we just read, and thank you, Pete, for reading from 1 Peter. We just read from 1 Peter a book um, written by the Apostle Peter, one of the 12, part of the inner circle with Jesus. And this was most likely written in the uh, mid-60s AD to the many churches near and far who were persecuted, who were being persecuted, and they had been scattered. And these churches were hurting, they were confused, they were super discouraged, and they needed comfort. So Peter, who both had witnessed Christ's suffering with his own eyes and had seen him raised and was now himself walking through the same trials and suffering that they were enduring, he brings this word. He wants to, he wants to teach Christians how to faithfully suffer as they follow Jesus. And our text applies that same point, that same desire to the church around the topic of sheep and shepherds. So let's go ahead and follow along with me. Look at verse 1, and I'll read from there. So I exhort you, I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed Shepherd, flock of God. And I'm going to pause there. I have a, a lot of information to go through, so I'm going to kind of speed through this, this beginning section. But here, here I want to show you that the Apostle Paul is exhorting the elders in the church. He, he would have had his letter read to all these churches, so many people from the church would read, but he has this particular word for the elders in our section of scripture. And he's, he's giving an exhortation. This word ex exhort is, is a strong one. It's not the kind of maybe try this kind of word, but it's a, it's a very strong like, you know, I urge you to do this. I urge you to follow in this way. And he's speaking to the elders. Who are the elders? The elders uh, I need to get nerdy here for a minute. Is that, is that okay with you if I steal Ross's thunder? He's our resident nerd here. Um, and uh, no, truthfully, Ross is, uh, he is such a blessing to our church. Without him, I don't know where it'd be. But I'm going to get nerdy just for a second here. This, this word elder uh, in Greek is presbyteros. It's mean, it, it, it means relatively advanced in age. Relatively advanced in age. The, the elderly of the community were generally the, the wiser who would lead, right? And so we know that that was not always the case from, from Timothy. Timothy was a young man appointed by Paul to shepherd the flock. And, and so not every elder was, was elderly, but generally they were the wiser and more mature of a community. There were those who were appointed to lead the church. And this leadership office, it was also, it's all, you could, you'll find the word overseer through, throughout Scripture, but, but elder is 
is the primary, most common uh, title for the leaders of the church. So the Bible teaches that an elder is a particular office of the church appointed by God to lead, to lead the church. How were they appointed? These, these uh, elders were appointed, we see in Acts, by the apostles. And the apostles would go throughout the region, Paul and Barnabas, we see them appointing men, faithful men, to lead the church. Those whom they deemed qualified to lead. We see Paul likewise calling his disciples, like Titus, to raise up faithful men to lead, raise up elders. So the elders were simply Christians, sheep themselves, who were appointed by other elders to step up and lead the church because they were competent and qualified in the eyes of these other elders. Notice also that Paul addresses elders, plural. Throughout Scripture, you'll find that, that, the, script, that the descriptions of the elders, are, it's often a, a plurality of elders. See that in, in Titus and Acts in 1 Peter. This is important, but it's, it's actually been overlooked by a lot of people in uh, our generation to the detriment of the church. But I, I believe one of the reasons that this, this is a, a practice that, that God is, is calling us to appoint a, a, a plurality of elders is that each elder has different gifts to offer the body. Each elder has something to, u- to use to equip the church, to build the church up. Some elders are gifted church planners. Some are gifted teachers. Some are gifted in evangelism. Some are, are gifted in calling others to repentance. So I'm not saying that every church has to have every single one of these gifts, but it is, it is ideal and and God's good design that there would be multiple leaders with, diff- with various giftings for the good of the church. Now we also know that, that, that from the list of qualifications in Timothy and Titus that the elders who were appointed, as I already mentioned, would be men. And, and these, these men, um, the, 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 sorry, the reason that, that Scripture teaches that this detail is that men would lead as an implication of God's creation order. Men would lead because of God's created order. He made man first and then women. So, as an example, just as in the home God calls men to lovingly lead their wives, God also calls men to lead in the church. I wish I could get into more details there, but we can if you have questions for me. Uh, I'd be happy to answer some of those, but I, wanna, I do want to mention this. In both of these cases, whether in the home or in the church, this is not a position of leadership that is to, to bring about comfort and privilege, but one that is, is a, a, a position of sacrifice and of service. That is the role of a husband with his wife, that is the role of an elder in the church, is a position not of comfort and privilege, but of sacrifice. And we'll, we'll see that more in a minute as we kind of unpack who elders are. So Peter is addressing the elders, and he's addressing them as a fellow elder. Not only is he an apostle, but he is also an elder of God's church. 
And I want you to notice that, that he reminds the elders of the fact that he has witnessed Christ's sufferings. He's, he, he reminds them, I am a witness and I'm also, quote, a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. I think what Peter is trying to do is show them, remind them of his qualification to, to, to make this sort of charge that he's about to make. He's someone who saw Christ die with his own eyes. He saw him rise. He, like I said before, he, he himself was suffering. And he's basically saying to the elders, we're in this together. We're in this together. We're suffering together and we're hoping for the future glory. So that's kind of Peter's setup for this charge, this exhortation that he's about to bring to the elders of these churches. So what is the exhortation? We've explored the who of, of pastors or elders. Now we get into the, the what, the function what are we called to do as shepherds? Let's read verse 2. Peter says, I exhort you, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. I want to pause there. Church, this, this image should warm your heart. <laughs> shepherd the flock of God. I said earlier that this is not a position of, of privilege or comfort, but, but one right off the bat where you see that there's this call to care in an intimate way for who? God's flock. It's God's flock. The fact that Scripture gives us this image of the church is pretty incredible to me. That, that, that God would have this tender picture of his care for his church. You, you may remember Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. There's this amazing picture throughout scripture where God is said to have this tender, loving care for his people. That's just incredible. He's not a tyrant sort of God. He's a caring, loving, tender Shepherd, I love that Scripture gives us these sorts of images, don't you? Man, it makes me love God. It makes me want to follow Him. Oh, that we would be that sort of shepherd. That's not in my manuscript, but I mean that. That we would be that sort of shepherd that you would want to follow us. God called Peter into fellowship with him to love and care for his flock. You may remember before Jesus ascended, Jesus saying to Peter three times, feed my lambs. You remember those words? Such a powerful moment at the end of John. And here, Peter is essentially doing the same thing that the Lord did to him. He says, elders, Shepherd the flock of God. The Lord Jesus passed off the, the baton, as it were, to Peter and to the others to shepherd the flock, to feed them, to care for them. And now Peter is saying, shepherd God's flock. God is so kind 
to provide that sort of care for us. Even though he's not with us in the person of Christ, he's so kind to provide us that care. So elders are nothing more than shepherds. Elders are shepherds. This is actually where we get the word pastor. Elders and pastor, elder and pastor is we use synonymously around here. And, and this word pastor is actually a Latin word that just means shepherd. Elders are shepherds. They care for the people of God. And how are they to care for the sheep? Well, what better example than Christ himself, who called himself the good shepherd? If you can flip there quickly, John 10, is, I'm going to read a little bit from, from there, where Jesus claims to be that shepherd. As I mentioned a moment ago, David calls Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel, he calls Yahweh his shepherd in Psalm 23. And Jesus, in John chapter 10, claims to be that shepherd. I'm going to read starting, starting in verse 7, and I'm going to jump around just a little bit, try to track with me. Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep. A little further down, he says, If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Wow. Jesus' point here is that he has come. He has come to shepherd his people. He's come to give them everything that they ever needed for abundant life, even unto eternal life. Even though the shepherds of Israel failed, we see in Ezekiel, God promised that he would himself. He says, Ezekiel 34, 15, quote, I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, says the sovereign Lord. And friends, Jesus fulfills that promise. Amen. Jesus fulfills the promise. God came in the person of Christ to rescue us. He is indeed the good shepherd. He is the good shepherd. He is the good leader that humanity is longing for. Even right now. He's the one that we need. That Israel needed. So when Jesus calls Peter to feed his lambs, and likewise, Peter calls the elders to shepherd the flock of God, he is in essence calling them to make sure that the sheep keep coming to who? To him. Jesus appoints shepherds who will make sure that the sheep will keep coming to the good shepherd. That's a good, good God. That's a good shepherd. If he truly is abundant life, if he truly is the door to eternal life, then he would be a horrible, horrible shepherd if he didn't lead, if he didn't lead us to himself. He's a good shepherd if he leads us to himself. And we as shepherds are good shepherds if we lead you to him. In essence, we are called to lead you, church, to Christ. 
so that you would never look for a different way, so that you'd never seek a different happiness. Because it's only a path of destruction. I would be an evil, thief-like shepherd if I led you towards me or led you towards Ross or anyone else. My task is to lead you to Christ. We're called to shepherd the flock where you can come and meet Jesus, find your joy in him, feed on his words until you and I and all of us grow up into Christ in maturity, founded in our faith in him until we meet him face to face. That is the task of a shepherd. Negatively, shepherds are called to keep watch over you. If there are false teachers trying to come in and lead you away from Christ, the abundant life, the eternal life, then it is our job to correct them. It is our job to call you back. If you wander into sinful paths, it is our job to correct you, to rebuke you. This is where discipline comes in. Church discipline, where we say, repent. We love you too much to let you run to the sin. It's a fleeting pleasure. Our job as shepherds is to lead you to Jesus and keep you from anything that would lead you to that same place. That is our goal. And it is, it is the same as Christ's. We want to help you find eternal life in Jesus. But there's a problem. There's a problem that Peter sees. We're about to read about it. He, there's a reason Peter needs to exhort the elders to shepherd the flock. And to shepherd them in a particular way. Notice Peter's words starting in the second half of verse 2. Through three, where Peter warns against three temptations that shepherds face. Number one, he, he says, You're not gonna, you can't lead under compulsion. And don't don't lead for shameful gain. Don't lead in a domineering way. So as we as we unpack this, I want to give you a few examples of, of things that I think highlight these dangers that, that apply to Peter's warning here. I'm just going to quote some things that you might hear from a, from a shepherd. I hope you never hear these things, but you may. I've heard some of them. Leading under compulsion. Do I really have to deal with that person again? <sighs> to preach again this Sunday. Seriously, they don't even listen to me. How can I minister to those who slander me? How can I care for those who take advantage of my family's time? I just need to get through this Sunday. Need a vacation. This is a, this is a pastor who dreads his work. He despises it. He, he, he may even have a serious dislike for the people. You get around him and you wonder if he has any joy in what he does. He may, be fa he may fail to lead altogether because there's, a, there's just like a, a coldness, a, maybe a bitterness about him. He may even be sort of reclusive. But Peter says, don't lead this way. Don't lead 
by compulsion, but, but lead willingly. Leading for shameful gain. How do they expect me to care for them when they barely pay me enough to scrape by? Well, it is a good paying job, I guess. This role really boosts my position in society. It's a good step towards what I really want to do. This sort of behavior includes greedy, perhaps sleazy or deceitful or haughty behavior. You might, if, if you've been a sheep who experienced something like this, you might have found that, that, that this pastor eventually had a moral failure or you might get the sense that, that your shepherd cares more about his appearance or his status before men than, than about the holiness of the people. Peter says, don't lead this way. Oh, I want you to shepherd the flock eagerly. Eagerly. Leading in a domineering way. Well, they won't do it my way, then find someone else. It's my way or the highway, right? It's my pulpit. It's my church. I am the lead pastor. Who do they think they are? This includes intimidating, manipulating, bullying behavior. You, you might walk away from time with this, this sort of pastor with your tail between your legs, feeling a little shorter and less respected. But Peter says, don't lead in this way. Lead by example. Don't be domineering. Lead by example. Oh, church, there's a number of things that I believe lead pastors to this sort of behavior. But I think at the very core of, of the issue, the core of the matter, I think applies to, to, to every flawed pastor who may have different uh, elements of, of, the, of these sort of things. It, it's, it's coming out of a heart that's not moved by God's love and mercy for himself. He's not moved by what God has done for him. Whether he's forgotten or he's just simply, maybe he's unregenerate, I don't know, but he, he is not moved by it any longer. And he's not, he's also not moved by what he's, the people that he's ministering to. He's not moved by God's love and mercy and compassion for them. This sort of heart posture leads to a cold heart overlooks the gravity of the role they've been placed in. It overlooks the importance of their position. Maybe you've experienced some of these things. Whether that's in the past or in another church or, or God forbid, here presently. If that's true, I, I am sincerely sorry. I am sincerely sorry for the ways that flawed men, perhaps women in other roles, have, who were called to be examples to you of Christ's love and passion for you, his desire for your abundant life, but these have, have caused you to see God in a different light. They've, they've grieved your, your heart and made you question, maybe even question God because of these leaders. I pray that that's not true of me. 
I pray that that would never be true of us. I'd ask you to pray for me. Pray for us. That God would keep our hearts warm to this incredible mercy that we've been shown. But what I need you to hear today is that Jesus does not lead you out of compulsion. Amen? He's never led out of compulsion. He's, he didn't die for you or come out of compulsion. He didn't come with a, with a begrudging heart. No, Jesus came because he loved you. He was so passionate towards you. He didn't come in a domineering way, but in a patient way. He got down into our muck, into our sin, into our stinkiness. He loved us. Oh, I pray that God will renew your vision of the good shepherd, even if it is tainted today by flawed leaders. God is patient. He doesn't need you in those ways that Peter said. And that's the example that Peter is calling his elders to live out before their sheep. It's only then... It's only when elders see that picture of Christ that we can faithfully serve you and lead you. We've got to be sheep who follow our Savior, recognize our need for Him, before we will ever be faithful examples to you. Isn't that true of all discipleship? If we're going to be faithful disciple makers, we've got to be faithful disciples ourselves, right? Well, God help us. Peter gives these warnings because he himself knows that there's only one perfect shepherd, right? Peter knows. And so do I. But Peter also does something really amazing. I'm so grateful for his glimpse of hope for shepherds. Read verse 4 with me. After giving these, um, these warnings to the sheep and uh, to the shepherds and how they lead the, the sheep, he says this, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Friends, ministry is hard because people are sinful. I said that before. People, including us, your shepherds. But Peter lays out this incredible piece of hope for us. That even when we have fallen, even, even when we have, when we see our weaknesses and our flaws, those who would turn their face to the Good Shepherd and strive with all their might, even when people are coming at you with sinful responses, he says, when the chief shepherd appears, you're going to receive glory. There's a call to hold fast for the shepherd. This, this gives me so much comfort. It really does. And Jesus, Jesus will appear. Notice, notice that it says that when, when the chief shepherd appears, it's not if, but when. Jesus is coming back and he will reward those who strive to be faithful in their role. Amen. That's true not just for shepherds, but for sheep in every task. Amen. Amen. 
Now we've answered the questions, who are the shepherds? What are they to do? Now we need to answer another very important question. How are you supposed to respond to us? How should the church relate to shepherds? So read with me in verse 5. Peter writes, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So how are sheep to respond to the shepherds? Peter says that sheep are called to be subject, to be subject to the shepherds. Isn't that a loaded word in our culture? Submit, to be subject to. We need to define that if we're really going to get our heads around it. Also, I want to answer the question, who, who are the younger he's referring to? Who exactly is called to submit to the shepherd? So first, let's define to be subject. This, this uh, word is in Greek, ipotasso. And it means to submit to the orders or directives of someone. There's an obedience. There's a submission. There's a submitting to a particular authority. So it's, it, the word is describing a relationship with ordered roles, right? Peter uses the same term to describe the relationship with husbands and wives, with citizens, with their, with their rulers. He uses it to describe uh, the relationship of servants to their masters and, and wives to their husbands, even, even the church to Christ in another place in Scripture. So this is a, this is a relationship with ordered roles. And you, you can see why I say this is a loaded term, right? This is, our culture just absolutely hates this idea of authority. In fact, this, this discussion of authority is at perhaps the center of almost every important debate right now, philosophically, philosophical, political, economic, even the racial debates. There is an issue of authority down at the core of these debates. But you know what? It's not just our culture that is bucking against authority and in in fact, it's, it's right here, <laughs> right? It's in each one of us, <laughs> and it's from birth. I, I mean, my, my two-month-old my two -month -old son is, is screaming at us, feed me! <laughs> we, don't, we don't get it to him fast enough. He's mad when his desires are not given to him immediately, right? There's, from the very youngest age, we buck against Anything that would not allow us to have things in the way we want them, when we want them. Anyone who with kids knows what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> but I understand. I, I get why people in our culture balk at authority, right? There's there have been a lot of bad leaders through history, and, and we would rather write our history than someone else forcing us down a path we don't want to go, right? get that. But even so, God is giving a command. What's, what's behind this command? Is it a good command? 
one who created the earth and the order of everything in it is the one who gave us this command. And I, and I really want us, I hope that we'll see the goodness of God in giving us this command. Friend, when Peter calls you and calls the church to welcome elders into their hearts and into their lives, to be led by them, to submit to them, he's not saying that they will always lead you perfectly. We just read about those things. There are ways that leaders are tempted, but that God ultimately has good in mind for you. This is not a malevolent plan of some you know, human religious team put, put, putting together this book to say, we can get power over them. No, guys, this is, this is a, a God who knows humanity and has put structure in place to protect us, to serve us, to lead us towards Him, towards abundant life. The effort is from a tender-hearted God. He's the one who's given this command. Listen to Jesus' response to what he saw as he ministered throughout Israel. From Matthew 9, 36. He says, it says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Because they were harassed and helpless. Like sheep without a shepherd. That picture is the picture of the God who gives us this command. The one who looked upon humanity, who's come from heaven, he left his throne of glory and has come down into the world of suffering to provide a shepherd to harassed and helpless and dying people. To people who were dying in their sin. I hope you see the compassion of God in this. This is just before Jesus called the disciples to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest that he would raise up more laborers. He's calling for more laborers to care for sheep in this way. So friends, whether you today feel like you have a good reason to balk at that command and say, how could I? When this leader has done this to me, I need you to understand and reorient your heart and your mind around what is true about God's purpose in this command. About God's purpose in all of Scripture for authority structures. He is for you. He has good in mind for you. He wants abundant life for you. And if Christ is the example set up for shepherds to follow then you can trust that in submitting to your elders, God has good in mind for you. Listen also to Hebrews 13, 17, which captures the same point. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So Peter and the author of Hebrews, what they're getting after is they, they believe 
that you, church, will benefit. You will benefit and you will thrive from submitting yourself to the leaders God has put in place. It's better for you than if you have a resistant heart attitude towards us, towards the shepherds. He says, what advantage would that be to you if you follow them with groaning? Hebrews also touches on our second question. Who, who exactly is called to uh, submit themselves or be subjected to the elders? Who? Hebrews clearly directs the entire church to submit and obey to their leaders. But there's also this, this phrase, the, the, the younger, this, this word, the younger among you in 1 Peter. So, so what, is, what is he talking about there in verse 5? Let's try to answer that. Bible scholars agree that Peter is not just singling out young people here. He's being skillful with his words. He's, he's actually contrasting two groups of people, elders and younger among you. Elders and younger. And even as the elders were relatively older than most in the community, even if just in their maturity, the rest of the community were for the most part younger in age, and these were also those urged to submit to the other elders, to the, to the elders. I know that's a little, a little confusing, but basically he's setting up two groups of people, the elders and the younger. Some, the elders would have been relatively older in maturity or age potentially, and the younger is really just referring to everybody else. I believe Peter may also here be offering a warning and using this term younger. He's, he's saying even as is the temptation, especially of the young, to balk against their leaders, I don't want you to be like them. I don't want you to be like rebellious teenagers in your response to your elders. I don't want you to be like my two-month-old. Everyone in the church is called to submit to the oversight of their elders, <clears throat> even sometimes when you don't like what they're doing. I'll touch more on this in a moment. Peter follows this charge to be subject to the elders with these important words. He says, clothe yourselves in humility. In fact, all of you must clothe yourselves in humility. Sheep towards other sheep. The sheep towards the shepherds. The shepherds toward the sheep. He's, called, he's calling everyone, put on humility like a garment in your reaction, your action towards one another. In church, this is not a passive activity that he's calling us to. He, he says, clothe yourselves. Humility doesn't come naturally to us, church, does it? It's not our instinct to be humble, but it must be practiced continually. Even as you dress yourself daily, we're to put on humility in our response to one another, especially in the Christian community, right? How else is the community going to thrive? Pride is at the center of strife. 
Scripture teaches. So he says, clothe yourselves with humility. This is why Peter then quotes this somber warning from the Proverbs. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Peter's burden, churches, is more about, it, it is about more than submission to shepherds right here. The way that we respond to other people, including our shepherds, is a picture of our relationship with God. Sheep and shepherds' relationships, and all relationships for that matter, tell us something about our relationship with God. Isn't that right? Verse 6 and 7 makes this abundantly clear. Read it with me. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the right time, or the proper time, He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. I don't think that there's an accident in Peter's logic to flow here. He's talking about relationship of sheep to shepherd. He reminds them when you oppose, when, when you are proud in your attitude towards shepherds, you are actually opposing God. And then he says, humble yourselves before him. Humble yourselves before God, who is the one who made this command. I want to talk more about the second half there, but, but let, let me just explain a little bit more. God is saying that when you humble yourself, even before imperfect shepherds, when you humbly follow them, when you're, you, you are ultimately humbling yourself before God in that action. In the same way, when we reject the care of those whom God has placed over us, whether their correction, our, our correction, or our counsel, or our teaching, it is in that moment that you're actually proudly opposing God. Friends, we're not ultimate. We're not. But God is. God is. And, and we don't want God to be our enemy in how we respond to Him, right? We don't want Him to oppose us in our pride in the way that we relate to one another. And the same is true for us as shepherds. I'm glad that He says, clothe yourself, all of you, with humility, because it's not just a warning for you, it's a warning for us in the way that we relate to you. If when we lay down our lives for, for sometimes ungrateful and stubborn sheep, when we do that, we are humbling ourselves before God. But when we take matters into our own hands and we proudly act like Peter warns against, we try to control the people in our care, we're ultimately squaring up with God. God says he opposes us. There's a protection measure for you. Isn't that a good God? He cares for both shepherd and sheep here. Now, I know, in closing, that some of you are anxious over our leadership. And uh, perhaps that's, that's our teaching or, or some other thing. Perhaps you've been hurt by us or others, and that's, that's part of the reason for the anxiety. But I've seen some of you personally, despite your anxiety, despite your 
frustrations with us. You have continued to submit lovingly and humbly, praying for us. You show up, and you don't you don't bitterly serve, but you, you show up to serve. You you care for us. There's not a you don't see an ounce of bitterness in the person. They continue to lay down their lives for the church. We're not slandering or complaining. There's a there's a humility towards God that, that casts their cares on God. And I just want to say to you, thank you. Thank you to, to you, if that is you, if you feel concerned with ways we've led or things that we've done towards you and you've continued to walk in that manner, thank you so much. I appreciate that. And, and if this is true of you, I, I want to encourage you that you can come to us with your challenges, with your questions. We, I put this covenant out here so that you can look it over and say, I think you're failing, Daniel, in this way. I don't think you're doing great here. We want you to challenge us. Casting your cares on God does not negate the fact that you need to sometimes challenge your leaders. It doesn't mean that. Sometimes you have to, there's a time where you need to leave, leave a church. There's a time where you need to defy a government. There is a time for that. We are being unfaithful to do what we're called to do, right? But I'm afraid that so often we do it more quickly in a more worldly way than we're called to do right here. We take matters into our own hands. Some of us have resorted to gossip. I also knew that know this to be true at, at points in our congregation. That some have gossiped or slandered or caused division. Some have tried to take matters into their own hands and have been defiant. Some have just simply left without saying anything to us about their grievances towards us. It's, it's a sad thing. Peter says, humble yourselves in the mighty hand of God. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humility, friends, is the key to, a, to enduring in challenging ministry situations or even in challenging Enduring challenging sinful leadership. And, and humility works itself out in trust to God. First, it trusts that God will exalt you at the proper time, verse 6. Humility believes that God has good for you in mind, even if you feel like your leaders don't see you or know your potential or see your perspective. It trusts that God will exalt you at the proper time. Further, humility casts your anxieties on God. It trusts that God cares for you right now in this moment. And that he will vindicate you in his time. We lay aside our proud instinct to try to control others. And we trust God to bring about the change. We serve, we pray, we are faithful as we humble ourselves to God in the way that we hum humble ourselves before our leaders. In chapter 2, Peter reminds us that Christ did the same for us. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. 
Are you following in Christ's steps in the way that you suffered in his church? When we humble ourselves before God and others, we're following in his footsteps and we are suffering with him. And those who suffer with him, we are promised, will also be raised with him. Amen? Amen. God is good to us, even though we will suffer in the church. When we respond with this sort of hope, the world looks. Sometimes more than with our words, the world is shocked by the way that Christians suffered. May that be true even in the church, as we sometimes will cause each other to suffer, as, God forbid, we will sometimes sin against you and you against us. May God help us. May God help us to suffer like Christ. Amen. Let's pray together. We'll invite the worship team up. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. God, you've been good to give us shepherds. You've been good to shepherd us in such a loving way. God, help us to worship you now. Train our hearts. Mold us as your church we ask today. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen.